Chapter 23 of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23 Mr. Brown and Miss Brown. Say, said Mrs. Roberts, halting her comrade and confidant with her favorite monosyllable, she was in her chosen morning retreat, a little platform just outside the kitchen door where she could work in coolness under the shadow of a great redwood tree and at the same time give a careful eye to the boiling or stewing that might be going on within. Mrs. Roberts had spent some of her most profitable minutes that summer alone on the back platform, busy with her hands and her thoughts. Her hands were busy now. She was carefully sorting a great box of late peaches, for it was time for late peaches. Practically the season was over, though so large a company were lingering that Mrs. Roberts's house, being the favorite one, was still quite full, and her hands were as busy as ever. Mr. Brown, who was moving across lots toward the tabernacle, turned at her call and retraced his steps and Mrs. Roberts stayed her busy fingers for a moment and gave full attention to the message she had to give. "'Say, do you know, I believe in my soul that she's been converted. I've thought so for a good while, but I haven't said a word to her. I took your advice about keeping real still and giving her conscience a chance to work. Oh, I've talked about religion, of course, a body can't help that, but I mean I haven't said a single solitary word to her about herself. I've just treated her as though she belonged. But this morning I can't help feeling kind of sure that the thing is done and settled. She's different some way, and it ain't easy to tell how, either. She's been just as faithful as the sun, always, but some of the time she's been pretty still. Not glum, you know, or out of sorts, but just very sober and quiet. But for a spell back there has been a change in her. Did you ever hear her sing? Well, she can sing equal to the birds. I was wondering this morning if they ever felt jealous of her. Maybe they do have their temptations like us, who knows? She hasn't sung much about her work for quite a spell until a week or two ago. Then she began to hum things, and this morning I declare she didn't trill out that glory song almost equal to my Aileen. That will be glory for me. I heard her voice ringing it out away over at the other tent, and I believe in my soul that she means it. There was so glad a ring in the good woman's tones that Mr. Brown smiled in sympathy as he gave hearty answer. She does mean it, Mrs. Roberts, and understands as well as any of us do its wonderful import. The Lord has found her. I knew it, said Mrs. Roberts, clasping her hard-worked hands in ecstasy. I felt it in my bones. I told Aileen that I couldn't help thinking it was most a pity that her mother was in heaven instead of being here to rejoice over it. But then maybe she knows all about it. Don't you think so? I wonder if they do understand what is going on here. Sometimes I want them to, and then again I don't. There have been times when it didn't seem to me as though Mr. Roberts, being the kind of man he was, could be happy even in heaven if he knew what a tug I was having down here. He was always so kind of sparing of me, you see, that I hoped to goodness he was being spared himself. But there, we don't have to plan the Lord's doings for him, and isn't it a mercy we don't? And then the good woman astonished her listener by turning suddenly to a radically different theme. Are you in a tearing hurry, Mr. Brown? Because if you've got a few minutes to spare, there is something I've been thinking about this good while, but I didn't know as I'd better meddle, and then again I thought maybe I ought to, and at last I made up my mind to speak right out plain. And you won't mind my doing it, will you, being I'm an old woman and a mother? It isn't that I don't believe in you through and through, and in her too, for I do, and no one could make me do anything else, but for all that." Mr. Brown had believed himself to be in haste, but he knew now that he should wait, and so replied pleasantly, "'I haven't a great deal of time this morning, Mrs. Roberts, but you evidently need help in sorting these peaches, and as I can listen while I work, let me by all means have your message.' "'And you won't mind if I speak out real plain, just like any old meddler, will you?' said Mrs. Roberts, beaming on him as he pushed the large peach box a trifle to one side and seating himself beside it went to work. "'I understand all about it before I say a word. I know it is just your kindness of heart that has made you walk back and forth with her so much and do so many thoughtful little things for her, besides asking her to go with the rest on that long walk the other day. You were as good as gold to do it, and I not only admire but I respect you for it all. 
I haven't had all sorts of boarders in my house these fourteen years without learning a good deal about folks, and I know men, and they call themselves tip-top men, too, who wouldn't hardly have said good morning to her when they met her in the hall because she worked in the kitchen for pay. I despise that kind, and I know you couldn't be one of them if you tried. But then, the fact is, Mr. Brown, maybe I'm foolish and worrying over what doesn't concern me anyhow. And yet it does. We are all bound to look after one another a little if we can. I'm mortal afraid she will get to thinking too much of you. She is alone in the world, you may say. She told me a good while ago that she hadn't any folks of her own, and it would be real kind of natural if she should get to feeling so before she knew it you've been so good to her. Now you don't mind my giving you this little hint, do you? Of course I haven't said one word to her, nor I wouldn't for the world, and maybe I oughtn't to to you, but I kind of felt— I haven't spoken to a living soul about it except the Lord. I guess you know I'm not one of the kind that goes around talking, but it seemed to me that— The good woman found it hard to complete any of her sentences. Her plain, strong face was flushed to her forehead, and she was clearly very much embarrassed, even to distress. Mr. Brown hastened to her rescue. "'Don't be troubled, Mrs. Roberts, at having spoken out frankly. I know very well indeed that you do not meddle with other people's affairs. This is not meddling in the least. It was like your good motherly heart to think of it, and I am sure that Miss Brown would be only grateful if she knew how careful you were of her. But I can set your mind at rest in this matter. There is not the slightest danger of her ever thinking too much of me. There are reasons why it is impossible.' The quick-witted woman caught at his sentence eagerly. "'Dear me, is that so? Is she going to be married, do you think?' "'I am strongly inclined to think that she is.' "'Dear, dear, I never thought of that. She hasn't acted like it somehow. She's been so interested in folks and things right around her, and she has never fussed about the mail being late and that kind of thing, you know. Dear me, that upsets all my plans about the mortgage and everything, doesn't it?' Still, maybe it isn't going to be for a year or two, and she might like to earn a little extra money. I'd pay her real well, and my niece writes to me that prices are a good deal higher here than they are in the East. Do you know when she is planning to be married? Oh, dear, I hope he is worthy of her, whoever he is. I wonder what he does for a living. Do you know anything about him, and do you think he is her equal? I'm afraid he isn't, said Mr. Brown, with an entirely grave face. To tell you the truth, Mrs. Roberts, I think one would have to look long and far to find the lady's equal. So do I. She's true blue every time, if ever anybody was, and girls are always making that kind of mistake anyway, and marrying men that ain't worthy of them. I did hope she wouldn't. I even hoped some of the time that—but there, what's the use of talking? Have you any kind of a notion when it's to be? Do you suppose there is any use in my having a talk with her about winter plans?" "'I am inclined to think,' said Mr. Brown, with the gravity of an owl, "'that you are too late. I think she has other plans already made.' Then he rejoiced at the sound of the assembly bell for now he must really make all speed, and there was not time for even one more question. The day was a busy one, and it was not until the evening of the following day that this industrious young man found, or rather made, opportunity to give Mary Brown some good advice. He was bold about the opportunity. He came to the side porch in broad daylight while Mrs. Roberts and Mary were both at work there over the peaches for dessert, and presented his claim. It was one of the few free evenings when people were expected to furnish their own interests or amusements, and he proposed a trip to the village for a certain kind of paper that would be needed in the morning, and a walk home by way of the Redwood camp to call on certain friends whose headquarters were there. Miss Brown expressed her satisfaction with the arrangement provided, and here she looked at Mrs. Roberts. "'Perhaps you have something planned for the evening that requires my help?' she said inquiringly. "'If you have, it will make no difference. Mr. Brown can select his paper without me, I am sure.' And she gave a swift glance at the waiting gentleman and dropped her eyes. "'Why, no,' said Mrs. Roberts but there was unusual hesitancy in her tones, and speculation in her good troubled mind. Would Mary like to have her say it wouldn't be convenient to spare her? Perhaps she did not want to go rampaging off on a moonlight walk with another man. He, whoever he was, might not like it. 
That is the way young men used to feel, and girls too, she remembered. Had there not been a certain David who used to want her to take walks with him? And Mr. Roberts did not fancy either him or the walks. And his name was Brown too, now that she thought of it. How queer! And she hadn't thought of him before in a quarter century at least. Then she came swiftly back to the present. Mary ought to have mind enough to say she wouldn't go if she didn't want to, and probably she had, too. What harm could there be in it when she had told him all about the other one? Anyhow, they were all going to break up next week, and she needn't fuss. "'No, indeed,' she added with heartiness. "'You can go as well as not. It will be a nice night for a walk, and you can bring us some fresh yeast cakes for tomorrow.' It was when they were homeward bound, and Mr. Brown was carrying the paper and the yeast cakes, that he began his remonstrance. Why did you tell Mrs. Roberts that I could select this altogether exceptional paper without your help? Had she known the special use to which it is to be put, what would she have thought of you? I cannot see that its use after it is bought has anything to do with its selection, said Mary Brown with a bewitching little laugh. Oh, can you not? Then you are not so quick at seeing some things as Mrs. Roberts would have been. I consider this a very important purchase indeed, and so would she. By the way, Mary, I am afraid your policy of utter silence is almost cruel. At least you should confide in that good woman for the sake of her peace of mind. She is troubled about you. If I were in your place, I should relieve her at once. She thinks you may be in danger of thinking too much of me." And then, even in the moonlight, it was plain that Mary Brown's face was aglow, though she laughed immoderately and murmured, "'The idea!' "'Preposterous, isn't it? I told her there were excellent reasons why the thing was impossible, but she did not understand in the least. I am truly sorry for Mrs. Roberts. She is going to be sadly disappointed, however gently we break the news.' disappointed in what? In you, my dear, she is depending on you, and so, I am sorry to say, is the mortgage. Of course you know about the mortgage, but I don't think you fully understand how it is to be cancelled. Indeed I do, but I did not think that you knew anything about it. You amaze me. Haven't I been in Mrs. Roberts's confidence all summer? I had made acquaintance with the mortgage before you ever saw her, and I know you do not understand how it is to be lifted, because she told me but yesterday that she had not talked with you. It isn't possible that since yesterday morning she has been scheming with you and has prevailed, is it? You are talking in riddles. Mrs. Roberts has not said mortgage to me for several weeks. Just what do you mean? How can she fancy that the mortgage and I have any connection? He laughed gaily. The connection is exceedingly well defined in her mind, I assure you, or was until I gave her a hint this morning that troubled her. She sees a possibility of having her plans nipped in the bud, but she is ready to struggle to the last for them. Mr. Brown, you haven't told her! Miss Brown, I have told her nothing, save that I suspected you as being guilty of schemes that might conflict with hers. How long am I to continue to be addressed in that objectionable manner?" She laughed and blushed. The new relations between them were so recent that she had not yet taught her tongue to say John. But her mind was full of those hints to Mrs. Roberts, and what he could mean about the mortgage. "'I am not to be turned from the subject in hand,' she said with mock firmness. I insist upon knowing what you told Mrs. Roberts, and what plan of hers can possibly connect me with that mortgage." Whereupon he gave her in vivid detail Mrs. Roberts's plan of a semi-partnership at real good wages, better than she could get in the East, and they laughed, those two, so merrily that other promenaders turned to look at them, and one middle-aged and careworn woman said to her scowling companion, "'Look at those two. They haven't a care in the world. Wait until they get married and have rent to pay and taxes and goodness knows what not and no money to pay them with. They'd better laugh while they can." And she sighed heavily. "'So you see,' Mr. Brown concluded, "'that you are bound to nip her plans in the bud, and some of her hopes for Aileen fall with them. Therefore it becomes your duty to break the news to her as soon and as gently as possible.'" "'Dear little Aileen,' said Mary Brown tenderly, "'she is her mother's idol, and no wonder. I do hope that Browning boy, dear fellow that he is, will not interfere too soon. 
I have some delicious plans for Aileen, and for the mortgage, too. She stopped suddenly to laugh, and to blush vividly over her own words. What was she saying? How did such speech sound from a girl who was supposedly earning her living in a way that was accounted as one of the hardest? End of chapter 23